0: McKinney Flavel's Hot Commodity Podcast Series, empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. My name is Sean Bingham, Director of Risk Management here at McKinney Flavel, and today is March 8th and a Wazdy Wednesday which is not easy to say if you try to do it really quick. But uh, anyway, it's not Friday. I hope I uh, didn't disappoint anybody too much. But uh, today I've got a, a gaggle of, of great guests with me. We've got Eric Thornton, who's going to talk about wheat, Miss Nicole Thomas, who's going to cover corn, soybeans, and soybean oil. And last but certainly not least, Kevin, who's going to cover sugar. So... Uh, I say we uh, probably have a fair amount to cover, but before we do, I would like to uh, just promo a couple upcoming things that we've got going on. Um, First of all is our Spring Market Outlook webinar. That's going to be on Wednesday, March 29th at uh, 11 Pacific. So uh, look in your email invite uh, for that. And then the big one is uh, Oakbrook, Illinois, our, our annual spring seminar on April 26th. And if you haven't gotten an invite, you should have, but you can always register online at McKinney-Flavel.com. I think there's a link there and you can just register. We'd love to see everybody come to that one. So let's just jump into it. I think we'll start off with Eric, I guess. And uh, let you cover uh, cover wheat. I was just noticed the balance sheet didn't. At least, certainly, the U.S. balance sheet didn't move. But uh, maybe there's more. I think there's more into that on the international that you want to talk about.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, touch on wheat there. Like you mentioned, uh, no changes in the U.S. side of things. Not overtly surprising. You know, March usually a fairly quiet report uh, to begin with, but. You know, one area that at least a couple weeks ago may have seen revision was that export target being 775 million bushels. But actually, the last three to four weeks, U.S. wheat sales have picked back up a little bit. And uh, we're now only trailing last year by 2%. So, you know, makes sense that we're still holding on to 775 million bushels there. But, you know, just back in uh, late January, February, we were really on target to be somewhere closer to. 750 million bushels. But for now, and even considering where this price uh, reduction in the wheat markets has come the last few weeks, we could probably see that as a very reasonable target for uh, moving forward in the rest of the of this crop year. So yeah, no changes. We stay at 568 million bushels, lowest figure for ending stocks since 7 08, And our stocks to use ratio uh, stands still at 29.9% the lowest since 2013-14 so that uh, still stays with us but globally we did see some changes you know net net a little bit of a surprise where you know analysts actually thought that stocks would hold on or maybe even slightly increase from the 269 million metric ton level back in the february report but we actually saw a reduction by 2 million metric tons down to 267 so we did see some true ups um, in the beginning stocks level for the current crop year, which was basically netted out from uh, increases to production. And uh, the ending stocks then dropped because we saw about a 2.5 million metric ton increase to demand. So some changes of note, I guess Kazakhstan is one country we don't typically talk about a whole lot uh, when it comes to wheat, but they saw about a 24 million metric ton increase to their production for this year. And that actually brought their export total up uh, to 10.5 million metric tons, which actually eclipses or outpaces them this year versus Argentina being the seventh largest exporter uh, expected for this current year, which doesn't always happen. It hasn't happened, I think, in eight or nine years. So a little bit of a thing to note there. But, you know, all in all, still not a whole lot to digest for wheat on this report you know one other piece is just again with that increase to production now getting just shy of 789 million metric tons that puts us about 1.5 percent larger than last year you know which is a record number but you know we are still seeing stocks globally still trailing last year by four or five million metric tons so likely to see a little bit of massaging for the rest of this Balance, uh, excuse me, the balance of this crop year. And, um, you know, really a lot of the market's attention is going to remain on prospects and optimism for new crop 23 uh, 24. So, weather and, uh, you know, what the winter wheat conditions are, are doing in the southern plains, especially how the crop will be uh, out of the dormancy window soon to be ahead of us here. And then where spring wheat acres will net out at, at the end of the month. So, those are going to be the Things that we focused on, but for today, you know, didn't really miss a whole lot. Oh
0: no, <laughs> absolutely! Well, that's a great recap. I wonder when the last time we we said the word Kazakhstan on a podcast was. It's quite <laughs> <laughs> way way to dive uh, way deep in the data. You know, you think yeah. I, you think the USDA uh, knew something that we didn't know? I mean, it was way back in October that they dropped that exports number from 825 to 725, held it there for five months. So maybe they had a crystal ball that no one else saw, but uh, I think you're right. Perhaps maybe, so. maybe it's going to hang there at 775. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, wheat out of the way, uh, Miss Nicole Thomas. You're going to cover corn, soy, and soil. Oil. There we go. So fire
2: away. That's a challenging one to get out of. Out of the mouth pretty quickly too, Immediately, <laughs> That's when my Midwestern accent kicks in heavily. So there when you, you hear go. it later on, we'll know why. All right. uh, so let's start with corn though. You know, we actually got a boost to uh, domestic ending stocks for corn uh, up about 75 million bushels due to a reduction in export demand, which, you know, arguably has been expected by the market for a while here. We hadn't seen demand be... Uh, All that strong uh, for corn thus far this marketing year. But I will say of late, it does appear that U.S. origin corn is getting a bit more competitive, particularly out of the PNW. And considering, you know, Brazil's planting that Safrina crop a little later than, than they normally would. not out of the question I think we might see some late season demand, but even then we should fall uh, well within the, uh, where this projection is is currently. And then on the global side of things, ending stocks were also raised, which you know at a glance would be a bit of a, a head scratcher. Those were up uh, a million tons uh, to just under 296.5 million. And that was despite a pretty sizable reduction to Argentina's production, uh, lowered by 7 million tons, now pegged at, at 40 million. And that's lower than last year by about 10 million tons. So just further indication of the impact of, of the drought uh, in Argentina and even coming out of La Nina still sort of uh, struggling there. Uh, but I should note that with the ending the global ending stocks number, A thing to consider is that in order for that ending stocks number to go up by a million tons, they had to reduce consumption by nearly 12 million tons. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, nearly all of that decline came from the exports category. So to some degree, you know, even though that number, that ending stocks number is up a bit, I don't think we want to necessarily misinterpret that as, uh, oh, this is great. Now we've got some bearishness in corn, at least not from that, from that uh, area. Now, where I do think and hope longer term, we will have uh, uh, some pressure, additional pressure on corn prices uh, relates to the upcoming crop season. Uh, Season. At the end of the month, we have our prospective plannings report. USDA has already put out their projection for this upcoming year of, I believe, 91.5 million acres uh, Mm -hmm. with a pretty uh, optimistic yield, in my opinion. But I will say one thing that could help us hit that number or maybe even surpass it is that fertilizer prices have been coming down a lot. We're off last year's number by about two-thirds. So quite a a substantial decline in in cost there that hopefully, uh, well, I guess that depends on if you're a soybean oil user or not. More on that in a minute. But uh, hopefully leads to some pretty good uh, acreage for corn. And accordingly, probably going to see those futures for the current crop year still kind of hanging out around the low sixes, which, you know, uh, compared to where we've been, uh, isn't too, too bad. And then new crop futures comfortably in the high fives now, maybe even pushing lower. And by the time we get to harvest, uh, hopefully some sub 550. but I would say, you know, for, from a, a buyer's perspective, if you've got futures coverage needs remaining for 22, 23, probably as good a time as any to do that. Considering if we haven't hit it already, very shortly here, we'll be entering our typical seasonal volatility period of the market. So worthwhile to to get that knocked out, maybe even look at a little Q4 as a hedge if if you're so inclined. Now, going over to the bean side of things, very different story. (laughs) U.S. ending stocks lowered by 15 million bushels. That puts us at 210 million. And that was via USDA adding back about 25 million bushels of the t- of the 55 million they removed out of the export category uh, back in I believe it was the Jan- either December or January wasD so that did pressure those ending stocks a bit uh, some of that was offset with lower domestic crush they took that down uh, by 10 million bushels. At least at this stage, soybean meal demand remains relatively strong and anticipated to grow modestly about 1% in 2022 23 But looking at these monthly crush figures, uh, be it NOPA or USDA's, you can certainly see some indications of that slowing. And USDA has that cumulative crush, uh, set through through Jan anyway, reported at a little over 1 billion bushels, got us averaging about 205 million bushels per month. Uh, so we'll, we'll need to uh, see a, a little strengthening in that if we want uh, some turnaround in that number. And that soybean export demand has just been resilient despite strong prices. Uh, our total marketing year commitment as of February 23rd uh, was just under 1.8 billion uh, bushels. And considering that the world's largest soy uh, product exporter, And a major soy exporter, Uh, Argentina, is facing a considerably smaller crop than the initial expectations. You know, some additional demand in that category might be plausible. A little late season or counter seasonal demand is a possibility. And speaking of those global dynamics, world ending stocks for soybeans were also lowered by more than 2 million tons, now sitting right at about 100 million tons and within shooting distance of last year's. Figure and accordingly, stocks to use projected at eighteen and a half percent for this year, down from nineteen point one percent in 21-22. and there too the USDA really drastically cut, uh, I guess you could even say slash that production figure, eight million tons from for Argentina down to 33 million, which again, right in line with with, the market's expectations and some of the projections that have been coming uh, out of Argentina for for this year's crop. And I should also mention, which is a a good segue into uh, talking about oil, Argentina's projected soybean mill uh, exports were lowered by 1.3 million tons and soybean oil exports were lowered by 350,000 metric tons. Which brings us to the US soybean oil balance sheet. A few offsetting changes led to ending stocks staying right where they were, 1.936 billion pounds. So it was actually food usage that got the bump of 150 million pounds. That puts us at 14.45 billion. They didn't touch the biofuel consumption number. Uh, More on that in a second. Uh, And then exports were rightfully lowered (laughs) to 500 million pounds. Now, Interestingly, the total commitment as of February 23rd was a mere 52,000 metric tons. That's roughly 115 million pounds. So if we don't pick up some counter-seasonal demand, possibly uh, due to what's going on in Argentina, then we will probably see that number lowered additionally in the future. And accordingly, I think we could uh, see ending stocks for soybean oil grow throughout this marketing year, uh, both in terms of of, uh, weaker yet export demand, uh, but also with that biofuel category. We're still seeing growth in consumption, just not to the degree we've been seeing for the last couple of years. And uh, USA is notorious for kind of Uh, overshooting that number and leaving it high through most of the marketing year. So you may not see that in the April or the May release, but I think even in the cash market and looking at things like crude soybean oil bases, you're you're already seeing the impact of that on pricing. Now on the global front, uh, soybean oil ending stocks lower to 4.4 million uh, metric tons. That puts them now lower than last year. And uh, likely due to that reduction in soybean oil stocks, total vegetable oil carry out was also lowered um, by about 400,000 metric tons, uh, which, too, puts it close to last year's number. So I think the bottom line of today's report is, you know, at least for beans through the remainder of this marketing year, you still got some bullish supports, probably going to keep us pretty close to that $15 per bushel. Value we've been seeing on you know, for the for the current marketing year futures, and then for soybean oil, like I said, I think there may be more opportunity for additional declines to those futures by later this year uh, with that uh, potential weakness in both of those those uh, that category the categories of exports and biofuels. However, I would also look at where values are today, and it's probably. Good time as any to knock out remaining needs for the 22-23 marketing year considering futures are now below 60 cents a pound for the current marketing year. And like anything, there's always still a little risk out there that we could get a little appreciation. We get something weird going on in crude oil that could pull prices up as well. So at least for, from a peace of mind standpoint, might not be a bad idea to, to just take that off the table and, and hold tight on that Q4 and wait for, for better values that should be coming later this year. So that's, that's corn and soy complex. Awesome. Awesome.
0: You know, I I mean, I was waiting for that export number in soybean oil to come down. So now my chart doesn't look near as horrible as it has for the last <laughs> several months because that, they're nowhere near that target. You know, I was just ch- just looking at prices. So talking about prospective plantings, uh, corn to soybean ratio at 245, as I recall, that's a little bit of an uptick here recently. Yep. Um, but like you said, big, big reduction in, uh, in fertilizer costs. What do you, you think it, you think that, you think this shift the shifted the projections for corn versus uh, soybean plantings this year?
2: Maybe a bit. I think, you know, you're going to need good acreage for both, for both crops and, and, um, looking at it from a pricing standpoint and the outlook for the next six to 12 months, you know, maybe a farmer says, Hey, there's the, that bean balance sheet is probably going to stay tight going into 23, 24. And maybe I'll gamble a bit and increase that acreage, uh, 87 and a half million seemed a little low to me to begin with, but I think this will be another year where we're waiting all the way into till June to feel very comfortable with what those acreage numbers are because it's, it's a bit of a moving target, but you know, we, we could see some adjustment. I don't know. I was going to ask Kevin, uh, do we use fertilizer on sugar beets? Oh, we use fertilizer. Sure. Oh yeah. Just noting that. Yeah.
3: But you may, you may (laughs) lose a little bit of acreage there, uh, from sugar to, uh, grains. Of course, last year was good on sugar, but, uh, this coming year, we have one co-op not planting, and unfortunately, it really doesn't move the blip for uh, corn and wheat when you look at sugar acreage versus uh, those crops,
0: though. Yeah, yeah, similar situation with cotton. We lost lost a lot of cotton acres, but I'm not sure it's going to move the needle for uh, for corn. But uh, hey, what a great segue, though, Kevin. Why don't, uh, why don't you take off and uh, cover sugar?
3: First of all, I just want to thank Eric for reminding me to turn off my phone because it has rung twice.
2: (laughs) 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 Yes, good job, Eric. It it has
3: rung twice since I've been on this podcast, but I had it on mute and I had my phone ringer off ahead of time. So any noise you hear now is because of all the construction going on below me. So it's not my fault. There is construction going on. All right. So anyway, uh. Wacky Wednesday edition of WASD and just would like to remind everybody WASD, Wake, and Scarf Donuts, everybody. So
0: <laughs>
3: just Kevin's <laughs>
0: new acronym for WASD. I love it.
3: And thanks to a uh, concerned friend and uh, fan of the McKinney Flavell podcast, McKinney Flavell does have donuts
0: here today. So. Oh. Thank you, Jealous. Eric Nicole. Are you getting your donuts? Nothing
2: here. What the heck? You're gonna mail those to me, or what?
0: <laughs> yeah, the downside of working remote.
3: The downside of working remote. Sorry, yep. guys. Anyway, <laughs> uh, sugar is uh, certainly a big topic for March. WASTI. This is the month USDA resets supply demand back at 13.5 percent. It's kind of their final reset, and you know the rest of the changes. Everything just uh, kind of. Can roll with the punches and move the stocks to use ratio up. You know, USDA likes to target 13.5% to 15%, but the reset was 13.5%. So we're expecting some uh, changes there, particularly in Mexico, you know, lowering their uh, imports. And that did hold true, not quite as much as we thought. But you know, when you get into numbers, we've been expecting and talking about higher beet production in the last Few months, the USDA has continued to increase beets. Uh, we're up to 5.16 million short tons, up 60,000 on this report. On cane side, been you know pleasantly surprised with the crops there, despite the freeze in December. Louisiana's crop was still a record, and thought we could still see a little bit of downside there from the damage, and wasn't sure the Production was going to hold over 2 million tons, but USDA actually uh, seeing some more finalized data. Uh, they've been done in Louisiana for a few weeks now, up 4,000 tons to 2.034 million tons. Again, record crop in Louisiana. Florida was also up uh, 26,000 tons, but we had a little bit of an offset where Texas just continues to struggle from weather and freeze and uh, really just a multitude of weather problems down to 76,000 tons. So well below their average of around 130,000 tons last few years. On the import side, again, Mexico was the big loser, 171,000 tons. Uh, we also saw TRQ imports up 7,000 tons. And then the other category we've been talking about for several months, the uh, high tier tariff imports. You know. Last year we had 390,000 tons. USDA started this year off like 50 or 75,000 tons. I can't remember which. Uh, last month they were up to 125. And when you looked at it, we'd already had like 90,000 tons imported. And so based on pace, they are picking their number up and they raised it up to 156,000 tons now. So still think that's a little bit low, but. Uh, Again, depends on how aggressive they are at managing the big TRQ shortfall, which they are showing a TRQ shortfall still of 255,000 tons, a big portion of that coming from the Philippines, which probably isn't going to have sugar to meet their projections. So it's going to be real interesting what the USDA does uh, after April 1st on reallocating uh, these shortfalls and any uh, other adjustments they decide to make. To supply demand and looking at Mexico, um, you know 1.3 million short tons. USDA did some uh, adjustments to Mexico's crop, which really shows you know how much sugar they're going to have to export to the United States as they lowered production a strong 415,000 metric tons down to. Uh, below 5.5 million tons, going to be the smallest crop in some time for Mexico. And they cited yields even lower than what I was thinking they'd come out with. And just over uh, 60, somewhere between 60, 61 metric tons per hectare and down there. And that's long, 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 long time before we've seen yields that low in Mexico. Of course, that was partially drought up in the Northeast region probably impacted by the same thing we we're just talking about high fertilizer prices whether you know a lot of growers were able to use and uh, put fertilizer there when you have a lot of small growers can have a big impact there so anyway the crop's coming in uh, well well below what we've seen in recent times on a yield perspective so uh, they should still have enough Sugar to meet their whole export quota. USDA monitors that very closely. they are lowered their domestic demand a little bit, 222,000 tons, which includes both domestic demand as well as their IMEX program. So, But they will be lowering stocks in Mexico as well as a result. And then... Last thing I want to talk about on U.S. uh, supply demand, there was one adjustment, which did catch me by a little bit of surprise, kind of been feeling that sugar demand, based just on economics, we might see lower demand, especially after a 2.5% increase in food use deliveries last year. However, based on pace or what the USDA cites from the uh, SMD report, which I was not able to download this morning, but uh, hopefully it's posted on the webpage soon. Uh, USDA increased food use deliveries by 100,000 tons. And so, after a 2.5% increase last year, uh, they're now looking at about a 1% increase this year. And so, um, hmm. strong demand. And wow. Yep. We'll have to see if that uh, lives up. You know, we now have four months of data to uh, look at. So, we're a third of the
0: way through it. And they're seeing the reason there for that increase. Uh, they must be so, uh, Kevin. We're about a well, almost exactly a week outside of the uh, sweetener colloquium now, and the it uh, appears to be or seems to be a game of chess being played between the buyers and sellers. Anything in this report you think gets anybody off the fence, or uh, or that thirteen and a half, pretty much as expected.
3: No, the thirteen and a half is exactly as expected. You knew they were going to do it. It's just a matter of how much Mexico's imports were gonna decline is, you know, not as much as I thought it was gonna decline. And that's really result of the food use delivery. So there's nothing here that is unfortunately going to move the needle one way or the other on negotiations. But I would say if I were to look at one thing, that food use delivery would be a little bit scary for me as a buyer.
0: Yeah, the uh, an uptick in that. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I I would agree with that as well. I just economically, I, I mean, <laughs> after listening to uh, Powell's speech yesterday, uh, his Humphrey Hawkins testimony, or the old Humphrey Hawkins testimony, it's uh, they they're they are still a hundred basis points away from uh, reaching the peak on interest rates, and I just don't see how demand continues to climb for for much of anything in, in that kind of environment but
3: well uh, that's what we've been thinking that's what <laughs> we keep talking about and yet 2.5 percent on sugar last year seeing other sweetener demand strong last year and then to say it's going to increase here further it's just like doubling down when you got a two seven offsuit
0: yeah in the hole i i I, <laughs> I hear you i i've said it i've said it forever don't ever underestimate the U.S. consumer's ability to reach in their wallet or pull out a credit card. They like to spend money, so it, it keeps our economy rolling. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up uh, for us today. I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening to our Hot Commodity podcast. I want to thank, uh, again, everyone for listening. As Mike, who I believe, is at an expo today, uh, good luck with that, Mike. As uh, Mr. Coughlin always likes to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. So until next time, Take care, everyone. See ya. See ya. So long. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit McKinney-Favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and
1: Twitter.